Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless pieces of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Welcome back to another edition of the Material Devolution Podcast here on Easter Sunday, another beautiful day in sunny San Diego, California. Matt Walter, my partner in crime, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Woke up, sun shining. Always shining actually here, isn't it? That's what it seems like, my friend. Had a delicious brunch. Was just perusing the news for some fascinating stuff to uh, discuss. And unfortunately, it seems like it's a case of same old, same old in a lot of the areas of the news, wouldn't you say? I do. And, you know, I think every once in a while we kind of run into this, right? I remember last year kind of going through the news and being like, oh, my God, this is so mundane and redundant. Like, it's the same thing. Like, it's a cop killing a black kid. It's like... You know, suicide bombing. Suicide bombing. Yeah. Something. Mis- misspending of government funds. You know, something. Same six stories on loop. Endlessly. And we actually have a lot of that going on now. Um, you know, the same thing. I mean, we got the, the election cycle that just like won't end. And even though you're watching this train wreck happen unfold. Hey, we, we got another year of it. I know. And we have no, like six months left. I mean, it's like amazing. But at the same time, you know, we do have that. And there's always these jabs back and forth. But I'm tired of talking about politics and Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders and this, that, and the other. You know, I'm tired of talking about um, you know, terrorism and, and, and our fraud in, in regards to the government with like Flint, Michigan. And I know that, you know, our whole point of this podcast is to take stories and devolve them down and really try to talk about where these things come from. Uh, but, you know, you can only talk about where these same stories come from so many times, right? So you have to guys start looking outside of the box and try to find some other, some other things that we can talk about. Yeah, at some point covering stories about terrorism, racism, economic fraud, it's like running laps on a track. You, you, you've been down the street before, you've seen this road before. It's uh, tiring to keep running laps on that track endlessly. So in those situations, we like to change things up. Sometimes it's an interview, sometimes it's a theoretical podcast. And sometimes it's going to be like today, more of a round-robin format where we've kind of looked around for some random stories that we saw had some interesting implications, kind of just stimulated our uh, you know, intellectual neurons, got them firing. So, Matt, you've got a couple of few interesting stories we briefly uh, talked about. Why don't you lead us into the first one, and we'll kind of just hop around, see what we can get out there. We don't necessarily have to drop a, you know, drop a dime, drop an hour, but uh, let's have some fun and see what we can talk about. For sure. And this is going to be fun to a lot of people, uh, you know, working in low wage jobs and things like that. It's just lawmakers uh, in the union reached a deal to raise California's minimum wage to $15 an hour. Um, now, what it's going to happen is, is that it's going to be um, incremental changes over the course of the next um, five to six years in order to, 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 to get up to that. It's a gradual increase. Uh, the minimum wage in the state was increased to $10 an hour in January under legislation passed in 2013. And my question is, is that, you know, everybody argues with uh, as wages rise and the cost of goods sold will rise um, in, in order to, uh, to pay for that, um, the business owners aren't going to incur, uh, you know, any more, um, you know, expense on their end. You know, they're just going to mark up their, 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 their goods, their wares that they peddle, their services. Um, what do you think about that? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm of the... I'm actually of the mind that, you know, in, in some way, 
there needs to be proportionality, right? Um, I understand people's arguments that these jobs aren't supposed to be the norm and what you're supposed to live on uh, for a long period of time. But the more and more that these um, manufacturing and these uh, this labor uh, goes away, then more people are forced to actually use this as a living, whereas a trade might have taken that place before. There's been a huge generational shift, and I'm sure you're aware of this. You talked to your parents 30, 40 years ago. Fast food jobs were jobs for high school kids. It was a transitionary job, typically. You know, it was something to get you in the job market, get things moving. A large percentage of our economy right now is people working minimum wage jobs. These aren't any longer transitionary jobs. The jobs to transition to just don't exist because manufacturing's gone down. We're importing more goods. Machines are handling more of our processes now. So most of our work is pretty much like corporate middle management work. A lot of paper pushing, crunching numbers on computers, man management. But we're not making shit anymore. So I think that's the problem is how can we justify increasing wages in a service industry? Because mm -hmm. the concept of the cost of service is very relative. You can't say that the guy working at McDonald's during rush hour isn't working harder necessarily than the yoga instructor teaching a yoga class and the yoga instructor is getting $80 an hour well the McDonald's worker is getting $8 an hour so in one way when you look at it it seems completely unfair but I don't think there's like a realistic way to economically stabilize that you can force people employers I guess to pay a higher wage but they're going to react just like they would they're going to increase the workload and the responsibilities of the employees they have and maybe even reduce them before bringing new people on. They're ultimately going to pass that work and workload on to an employee. So guess what? If you used to make $8 an hour, now you're going to make 15 and you're going to do the work to employees. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think is going to happen. Well, so do you think that they are going to cut employees? you think that's what's going to happen? They're I, just going to, they're, I mean, it, to reduce costs, they're just going to ax people? You're basically saying that economically, once companies become profitable enough and that point of enough is obviously up to debate, but once they are, they need to pass the wealth, so to speak, to their employees, which makes perfect sense in theory. But now you're asking them to, to do give it. give a piece of their pie. Now you're saying, okay, we're going to force you to do this through these safeguards we put in place. Well, guess what? The guy who's making a million at the top of the period goes, well, okay, now you put these safeguards in place that's going to take my piece of the pie and chop it in half. Well, okay, I just need to move some things around, and guess what? I get my whole piece of pie back. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't really make me, you can try to make me, but if I really care, you know, I can always circumvent that. Right. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you were paying a good wage before in the first place, this law wouldn't come into effect anyways. So you must already operate in a service industry, fast food, whatever, something like that, where exploiting low wage workers is a key backbone of the industry. Right. I mean, and it is service as well, but I mean, and also retail, right? The retail industry, you know, working at a, a You aren't making the clothes in the retail shop. Right. But you're, but that's. So you're just providing a service. I guess. It Checking is you out. Can I, can I get you a different pair of pants? Right. Like, right. I mean, that's service. Mm -hmm. It really is. Like, what are they making? Well, I only see this, I, I see this really hurting um, the, I understand who the target is in, in, in a measure like this. Um, and let's be clear, it still has to go up um, in, front of, uh, in front of the Senate um, and get passed. There's just a deal that's been struck between the unions and the lawmakers themselves, and the law has to still be enacted. Yada, yada. So anyway, get back to what, where I was getting at, is that I see this really hurting the small business owners 
whereas um, that that maybe can't just afford to either turn over their workforce um, or can't afford to pay $15 an hour because they're already running thin and they're not the guys that are making $25 million while their employees are making 15000 a year, right? Yep. Um, where those are the companies that you need to go after um, in order to get some of that uh, living wage back uh, down to the bottom um, and where there is some more proportionality in, in regards to, you know, 30 million at the top, 15 million at the bottom. And, you know, not saying that the CEO of McDonald's or whoever shouldn't get paid a, a lot of money for running such a, a large organization. But at the same time, um, I think that their, their, their lowest full-time employee should be able to get by. But the nature of the system is that your goal as a corporation is to make as much money as possible. Well, for sure. But I mean, your, I understand. Your, your, your goal is not to provide a high quality cost standard but living you, but for your, your employees. But your goal is to make profit, right? And, and, and if you're paying yourself 30 million, that's not, that's not profit, right? I mean, that, that's not your net. That's not, that, that well, money's taken out of your bottom well, line. Well, this, I mean, this is where it gets tricky because guess what? The corporations would say, well, if we don't offer the salary, we're not being competitive. Well, that's well, the thing. And, and, and guess what? They're right. Because mm -hmm. that guy who they pay 30 million a year, he goes somewhere else he, and get 30 He's million. saving you a billion by sticking it to your employees and your suppliers. Well, that's why he, it's he says, he's, it's just like why that college coach, you pay Nick Saban $7 million. Guess what? The program brings in 200 million a year when they win the national title. Mm -hmm. So that 7 million is money well spent. So spending 30 million for some douchebag to run McDonald's <laughs> seems like, Oh, we're overpaying this guy. Well, guess what? He got us a better deal getting our, you know, processed meats and he figured out a way to undercut the unions here and save us a nickel on the backside of every dollar we spend. Oh yeah, he just made us a billion dollars. Well, that's what I'm talking about. So who does this actually hurt, right? This this is great. This is great for the employee. It's, it's like a social. It's, it's, it's almost it's, a social movement. It seems you know great, I mean? right? You're like, okay, great. Yeah, everybody should should make more money. But you're squeezing you're squeezing Main Street on this. You really are. You're squeezing Main Street, whereas your your but your 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 target isn't the main street mom and pop shops that you're going to hurt the most out of something like this, you know, and you're targeting the conglomerates. You, you want the, the big franchises and the, and that's who you want to get, right? The chains and the big, the big stores that that's who you want to have to say, you can afford this, but other people really can't afford this. I mean, I've got a unique opinion when it comes to how modern economic theory should work because it's almost impossible to fuse socialism and capitalism because they run inherently contradictory to each other and like the nature of how you're supposed to approach certain situations. But I do believe us having some sort of like, call it a moral tax if you want, but if you set like a certain cap on what you think an individual should be making in a given year, then you disincentivize $100 million salaries, $50 million stock options. Because guess what? If you could only make $10 million a year and then everything else just went to taxes, after that, it was all taxes. Well, nobody would offer a $50 million salary. There's no incentive. The whole point now is to basically just pass that money on to shareholders. So if that's the main point, well, you're like, well, having the strongest company possible with the best workers possible or improving their own economic standing, that's going to make it a stronger company in the long run. There's no point siphoning the profits out for ourselves anymore to be competitive. Now it becomes a debate about what becomes too high a standard of living. Some people will be like, $10 million, you made that in one year. I could live on that for the rest of my life. Well, guess what? The guy making a hundred million is like, if I made ten million next year, I'd go broke. 
And he really well might. Who knows what his back-end costs are of his business. He's got his yacht that costs a million a year, this, that. We might all go, well, those are luxuries that you don't well, deserve. But, but he got them because of the system we had. Is it fair for us to take them away from him now that we gave them to him? It's a very, very like double-edged sword position. That's why it's almost impossible to fuse it because you're basically forcing the individual's freedom for the social good of everyone. And that's not a sacrifice we're all willing to make, is it? No, no. And, and, and But, you know, it's funny because I was talking to, about this last night uh, with my wife. And I think I think it's more – I think it's very generational as well. Like I feel that like my – for example, my parents' generation I feel are more um, along the lines of privacy and mine. And this is mine and not yours and I'm going to hang on to mine and, and we're not going to share with anybody else. Um, and I think that a little, I think that more of the millennial generation, probably my generation, maybe a little bit less, uh, is a little bit more inclined to uh, have that little bit of kumbaya moment. And I don't know if that's true of every single generation um, from past to, to, to present. Um, Do we have that moment though, or is it like just a marketing message that we have that moment? Because if we had it, it's like you see these glimmers of it, like let's say like Occupy Wall Street or Black Lives Matter. Or these movements where it looks like there's this undercurrent of, you know, young revolutionary motivated political power, and it always seems to just like be, be a blip in the radar. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like right. it, the problem is that the numbers are so well, vast. You know why? You can get a million pissed off people, but in a country of 350 million people, you're not even one. Well, it's because of the status quo. I mean, because you have to jump back into the race at some time. You just can't continue. Uh, to, you have to work to, within the system to change the system, and the system's goal is to not be changed. And it's and it and and the, and the magnitude and the. Um, and the inertia of the system can't be stopped easily or changed easily. It just it, it just goes. No. The status quo is fixed. Yeah, you think you're having an impact, but it's like, you know, go back to my bad 90s movies references. It's like Armageddon. You can shoot a nuke at that asteroid. You ain't changing its course by 1%. You exactly. can shoot all, every nuke we have. The mass at which it's moving exactly. and the speed, it is basically, it's coming this way, exactly. we can't stop it. So what and, can we do now? And I think that what happens is, is I think that you get people out in the street and they and they feel like they're gonna make a change and then they understand that this is like a long, arduous, grinding process and only certain either large scale events can be the catalyst for change, uh, like Selma or like the I Have a Dream speech or anything like that. Or you get uh, people like in Walt and, 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 and Occupy that just it just fizzles out. What's well, interesting to bring that it just up? Can't sustain. Because I was talking about that with my friend before, a long time ago. We're having an interesting debate, and he said the reason that he valued the American political system so much. He was a double major, poli sci and philosophy. He said that was he appreciated the fact that our political system is designed in a way where it doesn't evolve too slow or too quickly. Basically, what it's supposed to do is is it builds up pressure. And then the pressure builds up so much that there's usually like an explosion of some kind. And then the system reacts and it loosens some valves to let off the pressure and it adjusts a little. And then everybody's cool for a while. So you might have like, you know, incidents with women's suffrage in the day or racism, excuse me, in the 60s or things like that. The Vietnam War, there always seems like there's this buildup and then there's this moment, whether it's like, you know, Rosa Parks on a bus or the Kent State University shootings in Vietnam where this incident happens, it's a powder keg moment, and the system has to react. There's such like an undercurrent of social movement and momentum to, for it. We haven't had that. And every time it looks like we're going to have it with like 
Black Lives Matter or Occupy Wall Street becomes suppressed. It it almost gets like it gets perverted. It gets per, it gets perverted by the media, where mm-hmm. like basically the cause and the underlying emotion behind the movement gets twisted into like political demagoguery, where you're able to blanket whoever's behind this as being like nuts or stupid or some other type of straw man argument where the real reason behind this movement is completely cast in the shadows yep. to attack who maybe some of the stereotypical worst people who are leaders of the movement yep. are. Because a lot of people behind Occupy Wall Street, they couldn't even explain why they were upset. They just knew they were getting ripped off and they were pissed off about it. But if you ask them to go on camera and enunciate their feelings on the spot in the middle of a political rally about it, they're going to sound like a retarded 18-year-old college kid that they are because that's who they are. That doesn't mean that they're wrong to be angry about getting ripped off. They are getting ripped off and they should be angry about it. They perhaps just shouldn't be giving speeches and talking points. They're being interviewed instead of being this like, I know everything culture. You should be like, you know what? I've read a lot of interesting things that led me to believe that my money's being misused. And, you know, it's difficult for me to explain that. I'd rather you spoke to this gentleman who's better schooled on it. Instead, it's like, oh, I'll tell you whatever I'm thinking right now. Because mm-hmm. what I'm thinking, you need to know. Yeah, and I always point to, like, Ferguson, for example. That was a, such a thing that, you know, it kept, you know, it got, it got larger than Michael Brown, right? Right away, right away. It got larger than Michael Brown and whether or not he stole anything from that store, whether or not he charged the police. All it was was a, was a moment in time that highlighted the the it was one too many times yeah it was one too many times for that that, 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 that community had been seeing that for so long had been abused for so long that finally it was that like fuck you moment and listen you can can only push me so many times and then it's like hey guess what i might have pushed you before you pushed me but guess what you pushed me a thousand times before this and i didn't push you right and i'm tired of being pushed it doesn't even matter if it it was justified or not it's just i'm not going to get pushed anymore i'm not going to get pushed anymore right right? this this smells funny i don't know whatever we're going to go oh oj trial is he guilty or not we don't even care but guess what you're not putting another black man in prison right that was like really a lot of mentality of black community was well, the other thing is, is that like, you know, when, when you talk about Ferguson is that, you know, there was after the federal investigation, they found that there really was um, a, a systematic, uh, you know, um, attack uh, on that population. Oh, they were, ec- they were to, economically to, to, extorting to them. siphon money yeah, out. Economically like, extorting economically them. Economically extorting, exactly. And would any of that have ever come to light if they didn't? riot in the streets well that's the thing of course without having that situation but it's easy to point at that and be like look at they burned down their whole their own their own uh their own um sub, uh, subdivision their own neighborhoods etc etc but the fact of the matter is is that there were they found to be there was some corruption and some collusion and some the some things going on there's business was you know it was bad so i mean the what the way like you got to always see it from both perspectives because on one foot it's like yeah it seems kind of crazy that you know these companies are trying to put money into your neighborhood and your reaction is like, well, let's just destroy all businesses. You're hurting yourself. On the other hand, if you're coming from their shoes, to you, this is a war zone. It's a ghetto. And the way one activist described it that's fitting is like, you know, do you think the riots, rioters in the prison are worried about burning down their own cells and the commissary? It's like, like, we don't give a shit what you gave us because we're pissed at all that we feel like you're having to give us things. You know, if you gave us a real area to live in that we valued in a community, we wouldn't even be in a position where this would ever be a possibility. 
You know what I mean? Like, if this has been a good community and you've been treating us right and fairly for the last 30, well, 40 that's, years, that's would one thing, incident right? with the police cause rioting where we're going to burn down our own stores and shops? Obviously not. There has to be like a huge trail mm -hmm. and undercurrent of negative energy that builded towards this point where we get so self-destructive that we're like, we'd rather like, we'll, we'll be that monk who's going to burn himself alive to protest the Vietnam War. Right. Right? Like, all we have left is obscene... Uh, activism at this mm -hmm. point. That's, the, that's our last straw. Let's burn cop cars. Let's throw them out of cocktails. <laughs> let's dance in the streets. And it didn't even get that terrible, right? I mean, they weren't like not in. Go not to in, go to Palestine. Palestine. Yeah, well, you know what yeah. I mean. Like you can see how it gets. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever get to that level, you know. But it could for sure, for sure. Well, the next one that I was going to talk about, you know, it was a big deal uh, this week. Um, President Barack Obama. First sitting president in fifty something years goes to Cuba. I thought you were going to talk about the Rolling Stones concert. Well, that's another thing. I mean, it all goes hand in hand, right? But you know what? It's funny because I was looking at something on Twitter yesterday, and they were talking about the Rolling Stones playing, and then other people were like, hey, "Blur played there in night in two thousand and four, and so and so played there in two thousand three. It's not that big of a deal." But if the Rolling Stones play anywhere, it's a big deal because it I was can't like a, those guys. It was like alive. a free concert in front of a half a million people. Yeah. So I mean, pretty epic. Was there a lot of Cubans there? In Cuba. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's all tourists there now, right? Exactly. Nothing but American tourists. That's it. That's it. It's That's a crazy it. situation that we're now, like, finally 50 years later dealing with the repercussions of a trade embargo that was rooted in this Cold War narrative that's just, like, so at the core of American history. You know, like, we've kind of always needed this big enemy to go up against, and there's always other countries that get caught up in the the backlash, the crossfire, the blowback, so to speak. In this case, our enemy was like Russia during the Cold War, and somehow this little country of Cuba that before we always had good relations with, now we're basically like dooming them to a shithole existence till we feel like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, let's face it though, you know, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was a big deal. They had nuclear weapons Huge. like, you know, 90 miles off the coast. They're being used as a pawn, you know, you know what I mean? For sure, and it's, it's unfortunate, right? And, and you know, and it's I really my my biggest problem is is that we've had since 1960 we've had this embargo in place basically uh, locking out all exports um, to Cuba and they've been living under this veil of uh, of, of of our suppression uh, for this long and no ties no nothing it's a small island nation and we act like the easing of these tensions is the most catastrophic thing that happened in the western hemisphere since the crisis itself yeah i mean the big problem is we can't ever use honest language because to use honest language would be to acknowledge the truth and we'd have to look in the mirror at ourselves because we want to still be at war with communism mm -hmm. we still want to prove that capitalism is the best system in the world instead of acknowledging guess what there is no such thing as war against communism communism doesn't exist Every like country that claims it's communist, whether it's been Cuba or Vietnam or you know Russia before it collapsed, it's not really communist. No, they were they were nationalist socialist movements yeah. operating under the guise of fascism yeah. as communists. Yeah, totalitarian. Co co exactly. Communism has never existed because guess what? At some point, the military is supposed to transition power back to the people, and they never do. That's pretty much the history of modern communism. So it doesn't really exist. So we don't really have this war against it. So over the last 20, 30 years, it was like the Soviet Union collapsed. So we're not really at war with the Russians anymore. 
but we still need to prove capitalism is the best. Yeah, what we gotta do? We gotta go flex our money. We, we gotta still stick it to anybody who considers themselves capitalist or not not capitalist, communist, communist right. like Cuba, right? We still yeah. we still gotta lean on them and let them know, hey, this is what's up. Come over to our side, uh-huh. the right side. Uh-huh. So it was a big step forward, I think, with the embargo because. I mean, you got to ease those trade restrictions so these people can make some goddamn money. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, who who loses? The Castros don't. I mean, they don't lose, oh, right? The, the politicians in charge are the only ones making any money. Yeah, the people right. live in squalor. The people in power yeah. live like kings. They have all these like underlying like little businesses that you've never heard of anywhere, like repairing Bic lighters and things like what? this. Yeah, because like they, they repair lighters, they can't get them right. So like these the lighters that we throw away and that we don't think anything about, we get like for a dollar, and uh, they're everywhere. They have like a whole like under like this market of of business, this whole economy, a sphere of economy that circulates around the fact that they can't get these new goods, so they repair the old ones. So they actually are doing more with less. Not to mention. They have like the best healthcare system in the entire world, or something like this. They peruse more doctors than anybody else. Is that else. true? Yeah, that's a big. It's a big thing. They're like world renowned. It's like in, in, in regards to what though, like their ability to offer services to their public, or their like ability to produce a certain percentage of medical, you know, staff, or you know. Graduates, professionals, something like that. Yeah, it's it's their their entire system, um, but it does also uh, go into the way that um, um, they they train their doctors as well. According to the UN's World Health Organization, Cuba's healthcare system is an example for all countries of the world. The Cubans' health system is recognized worldwide for its excellence and its efficiency. So See, all of that. Hey, it just goes to show you, it's all about balance. Because who cares if you're in great health if you live in shit? Well, right. I mean, then you, you, what's your hope as far as your economic gain is concerned is, is what's limited. Right? There needs to be so balance between those We're going to keep you right? alive, but you're going to drive a 1953 Buick for the rest of your life. Yeah, you're still going to like live in this prism of the past mm-hmm. while we like figure things out. Which is one of the things though, that they also said was very um, um, intriguing about Cuba and that will hopefully not lose all sense of itself uh, as it does go through this metamorphosis, which is going to be ginormous. Um, when it does open up is I hope it doesn't lose any of that, uh, you know, nostalgia of old Havana and, and these old cars that are there because, you know, all of their cars are from that, uh, from that time period, you know, the 60s oh, yeah. before the embargo. I mean, they don't build cars. Cuba's an interesting prism to look through the modern immigration movement because it's funny, you know, we had this thing where if you set foot That's right. on American land as a Cuban. Dry feet, wet feet. Dry feet, wet feet. Guess what? You get... We'll give you legalized immigration status because you can. What, what's the phrase for it when you're like a defector? You're a political descendant of some kind. You know what I mean? Yeah, an asylum seeker. Asylum seeker. They yeah. basically, hey, conservatives were like, you know what? We're against communism. You flee the communist tear, the red tear, and you come here, and we'll give you citizenship. Yeah. Now, forty years later, if you come here, but you come from that other country that's Spanish speaking, you know. Not good. Hey, you're even, going back. Even if you pop a kid out here, you, that's an anchor baby. We, we, don't, we don't want him either. Actually, but if you're fleeing communism, we totally want you. But here's the deal. We're not going to send you right back. We're actually going to hold you in a for-profit detention center in deplorable conditions for quite some time. And then we'll send you back. Wait, you're embracing capitalism? That's good. But are you fleeing communism? No? Sorry, we don't want you. Sorry. You speak Spanish? Check. You're embracing capitalism? Check. Right. But... Did, but are are you fleeing something that we're against? Did you no? come here in a bathtub? Can we deport you? 
Right. Can't wait to port your meeting. It, it's it is. I mean, there's it's it, it's amazing the 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 way that we don't apply the same logic to, to the same thing. I mean, that political moment in time. Was, I mean, like think I about said, it. The people coming from Honduras and Guatemala, right? I mean, they're freaking suffering. They're traveling four thousand miles across freaking dangerous land, not ninety miles across the the Caribbean, right? And we turn them away because and it, these people are fleeing like gang violence. Because it doesn't make a political statement, though. The whole thing with Cuba was we're making a political right. statement about communism. Right. Yeah, we'll take you. You know, you're fleeing communism. Well, we have to support we you. We have to. We because have to. it's capitalism versus communism. Right. And there's going to be this domino effect where if we say cap- communism works, and like we said, it doesn't even work because, I mean, that really should have been the American mindset the whole time was like, we're not going to call you communist because you aren't. That, that we'll call you. We'll, right. call, we'll call you what we want to call you, but just don't say you're something you're not. <laughs> exactly. You know? kind of like what we do here we say we're a democracy we aren't we're a republic we're we're a democratic republic Mm -hmm. but we say we're a democracy all the time we're not stop saying it france democracy democratic parliament that's how it's structured what we do here not democracy well speaking about democracy and speaking about the foundations with our democracy is built on and our country is built on and uh primarily more focused the second amendment This is a really good story. Coming into a heater here. This one, this one. <laughs> get your trick. Get your trigger fingers ready. When I saw, when I, you know, we were we were struggling for some topics, right? And what we were going to do, and we were we were sitting around, and we were trying to, we were eating our lovely brunch cooked by Devin the quiche that was gluten free on. Uh, I try. Yeah, on t- on potatoes instead of uh, cr- normal crust, which was amazing. Anyway, we were looking at, but when I saw this, when I saw this article. I got fired up for this podcast because this is the type of stuff that it's just too good to be true. It's like, it's one of those things. It's like a movie where you're like, really, is this some kind of alternate reality? Did this really just happen? Um, so the NRA family site published its first reimagined fairy tale, little red riding hood in parentheses has a gun in January and followed up with, Hansel and Gretel have a gun last week. It's almost like a meme. You, you could basically pick any of your favorite childhood fairy tales and put ha- dot, 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 has a gun afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Right? The three bears, dot, 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 has a gun. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Cinderella, dot, dot, bears, dot, has a gun. Here's, here's the three bears. So immediately after on Twitter, it's, it inspired a series of people like, you know, their own hashtag NRA fairy tales. And one of them was... This porch is too cold, this bed too hard, but this AK-47 is just right. Who's up for some bearskin rugs? <laughs> so they are kind of hilarious. But let's talk a little bit about uh, this actual uh, uh, fairy tale in itself. So I'm going to read a little excerpt uh, from the Little Red Riding Hood version of uh, Little Red Riding Hood has a gun. Uh, Please do. So the wolf leaned in, jaws open wide. Then stopped suddenly. Those big ears heard the unmistakable sound of a shotgun safety being clicked off. Those big eyes looked down and saw that Grandma had a scatter gun aimed right at him. He realized that Grandma hadn't been backing away from him. She'd been moving towards her shotgun to protect herself and her home. I don't think I'll be eating today, said Grandma, and you won't be eating anyone again. Grandma kept her gun trained on the wolf who was too scared to move. Before long... He heard a familiar voice call, Grandmother, I'm here. Red peeked her head in the door, and the wolf couldn't believe his luck. He had come across two capable ladies in the same day, 
and they were related. Oh, how he hated when families learned how to protect themselves. I, I thought you were going to continue where one of the ladies like accidentally like shot the other one in the foot. <laughs> exactly. But, and then they like they shot the wolf in the face and blew his face off, and it turned out he wasn't like armed. And they went to jail for 40 years for murdering somebody. <laughs> and then it said the wolf is carried away by the hunter to an undefined but unpleasant end. Um, so it's just interesting to me that you would ever let a child read this. Um, I understand that, you know, the hunter in, in the, these grim uh, fairy tales are pretty, pretty gory, right? Some of them are pretty gory. Right? I mean, they're all pretty gory. Yeah, they are. Awesome. They are pretty gory. I mean, in in the real story, like Grandma Anne, like Red gets eaten, and then the hunter, like Grandma cuts, gets eaten, cuts him out, eaten, eaten, eaten. And um, so anyway, it's just really funny. And basically, I guess the two kids go into the wood for Hansel and Gretel to feed the family. They go on a hunting trip, and Gretel takes down a 10-point buck before they head home <laughs> and get lost in the woods. I mean, no matter how you feel about the Second Amendment, you've got to admit, it's pretty insane to see them taking like childhood stories and politicizing them to make some statement about this. It's just and it's always Crazy. and it's funny to me because it's always like a it's always the girl too. It's interesting. They're going after the women here and the girls because um, in this, uh, obviously, the mom has I mean, the grandmother has a gun. Um, she, he talks about two capable ladies uh, that are that are both uh, they're both there, Red and the grandma. Um, in the Hansel and Gretel, it says that um, she covered him. Uh, the boys directed Hansel to the key that would unlock their cage while Gretel stood at the ready with her firearm just in case, for she was a better shot than her brother. That's a very, very, like, sexually deviant fantasy of, like, the Second Amendment patriarchy. In that regard, they love this idea of, like, a strong woman with a gun. You know it was a dude who wrote that article. Well, the other thing, though, is, is that, like, what they're really going after is they're trying to sell more guns for protection to women. Their women are the victims, but you can be strong with this gun, Miss Woman. And you know what? Now we make nine mils with pink freaking hand, uh, with uh, pink pistol grips, and yada yada yada, bling out your weapons, and yeah, and and that's what's going after. And you, and if you look around social media and some of these other things, um, you know, there there's a very there's a lot of women who are vehement, vehement gun supporters and defenders. Of I can see why. I mean, it, when you think about it psychologically, it's tough as a man because. You know, if you're like an in-shape athletic man, pretty much you're not afraid for your safety. I feel like most situations you could run away or defend yourself, you know, outside of living in a very dangerous area where you could get shot by a drive-by or somebody random is going to stab you. For the most part, you feel pretty safe. Now, if you're a woman, I mean, plus because it's such like a sexually aggressive culture, mm -hmm. you can imagine what it must feel like just knowing that at any moment dozens of people who want something from you could literally take it from you and there's nothing you can do to stop them the gun's the ultimate equalizer you right know what but, I mean? but 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 as far as these stories are concerned when you when you really break it down it they're they're trying to sell more guns like it's pretty obvious of what's going on they're they're targeting women the message is to the girls and to the women that they too can be strong and they need to protect themselves the only way to protect themselves is to have a gun should they pepper spray the big bad wolf Mason, Taser, I mean, I, I got some jujitsu. <laughs> Gretel armbarred the shit out of him. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Yeah, Red's got him in a Kimura. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work as much. Definitely doesn't sell as well. It's interesting to see stuff like this happening just because I never thought when I was like a kid reading anything, I didn't even understand what politics was. So right. there was like no prism of looking at the world through it. So it's like, would you read this to your kids? And then later when they're 13, 14, they're going to be like, you know what? I believe in gun rights because when I was a little kid, all the childhood fairy tales I read, they were badasses who murked, you know, the evil dude with a gun. Well, you know, they can't have Cinderella has a gun because, you know, she was picked on and bullied and shit. And she would just go psycho and just wipe out all of her stepsisters. She just, like, kneecapped her stepsisters? Just, just all of them, right? Kneecapped them? Right? Yeah. Just straight up, like, one of the fucking movie theaters. Tell me to mop that floor again. Yeah. Tell me to mop Tell that me floor. again. <laughs> I'm talking to the birds and stuff. They're sewing my clothes. I, I want to see every single fairy tale possible with a dot, 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 got a gun. Think about that it's gonna be, it's gonna, Let's break it down. Hey, Let's gonna, break it, it down. It's, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They all got guns. My posse got guns. Hey, it's it's going to go viral. <laughs> there is a meme coming. Trust me. It's going to be awesome. It could probably be like just Photoshop with just the covers. I would right? You see Snow White standing there with like her arms crossed. She's got the whole gang of freaking dwarves behind her. All got weapons. They're all like packing. Yeah, you're like, my favorite dwarf was sleepy because he had a Glock 9. Right. You thought he was sleeping, but don't sleep on He's at the ready all the time. Don't sleep on sleepy. That's a hair trigger. Sleepy rolls off safety. That's a hair trigger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, but it's excellent. So anyway, that is why I wanted to talk about that story, just because of the laughs that we just got out of it. It's not the fact that, you know, like, again, you know, people have their own views about guns and whether or not they're safe or unsafe and this, that, and the other. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is just ridiculous. I mean, it's one of those things that you're like, did they really do that? Who thought this was a good idea? Sometimes you just got to hold a mirror up to the kaleidoscope so you can look at the colors and laugh. Because, right? you know, if, if you didn't read the story, you wouldn't think it was real. But sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. So mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that little, little extra. For sure. Us. For sure. That's good. Funny stuff. Anyway. <laughs> Is that is that we're gonna end it on a humorous note today? You know, I was gonna take it down to like you know something with some terrorism and things like that, but I'd like to end it on a little bit lighter note. It I, is I, Easter I, for Christ's sake. On Easter, we're I mean, it's not like it stopped because of Easter, but let's let's say no terrorism, racism on a, on our Easter podcast. We'll keep today. it light. We'll end it with the uh, lighter for us, right? And next week, the Material Devolution podcast with guns. And racism and terror. <laughs> so it's all coming. Three-headed monster coming for you next week. Bringing it back. Bringing it back in full force. Well, thanks for uh, motivating us this weekend, Matt. I know it was tough to uh, comb the draws of the internet for some uh, interesting stuff, but I think you found some good stuff. We had a fun little chat here today. Went some more areas I didn't think it would. And uh, it'll be great doing an interview. I know we've been trying to get one lined up. Let's get that set up and do one next time solid. And, you know, we'll find somebody in a certain area of expertise like we did with uh, Dangsa in our Burning Man podcast last year. Yes. And we'll, uh, we'll investigate something new and learn something. Very good, very good. I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully we can find something, bring something interesting to the podcast, a different perspective, let everybody uh, you know listen in. And uh, we thank everybody who does listen for joining us. And uh, another edition wrapped up. We're going to go enjoy our Sunday. Have a good day. Peace and love, everybody. Thanks again, everyone.